Ushers, if you would go ahead and join me in the front as we continue worship by receiving our morning tithes and offerings. And, um, you know, my thought, my mind is still on uh, being in Israel at the, uh, the olive and the wine press. And uh, just a simple fact, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit also about the prophet when he encountered the widow lady, the little widow woman who was just, you know, she was just going to make enough bread for, for her and her son and she was going to die. And the prophet said, he said, I'm not concerned about you having an abundance of stuff, but the question is, what do you have? Will you make what you have available to the Lord? And the same question that me and you are posed with each and every day. And the truth is when you look around, you see where you have trusted God with sometimes it's little, sometimes it's much. But what God does, he takes it and he blesses it and he expands it and he uses it for his glory. And you and I get to be a part of such an amazing journey. So I'm just once again honored. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for all that you've done. God, I thank you that you teach us how to be faithful. You teach us how to walk and live out faith, Father God, by trusting you with what you've entrusted to us. So, Lord, we give it back to you in the name of Jesus. Your word says, pressed down, shaken together, even running over. Will you cause man to bring it back into us? And so we thank you for that promise. In Jesus' wonderful name, if you love the Lord one more time, can you shout amen? The Oaks Church, we love you. Amen, amen. Well, I am so glad to see everybody today. It is going to be an amazing day. Uh, I think I saw as I was coming in, they're calling for another four inches uh, of rain. Is that right? So, uh, so everybody, who's working on the ark? Anybody building the ark? So we need to make sure where that address is because we don't want you to shut the door before we get there. But anyway, I'm so glad you're here safe and sound, and we're going to have a wonderful time. Let me just take a quick minute and say welcome to all of our online guests, all of you that are at home watching today. Thank you for being here. As a matter of fact, can everybody just go ahead and welcome everybody that's watching online today? We love you. We're thankful for you. And you can participate in the service in every way almost that you can do in-house. So we are honored that you're with us. We would rather have you here, but as long as you're with us, your family, we're thankful for you. So today, as we get started, I'm starting a brand new series that we're going to be talking about that uh, has been asked over and over and over. This new series is called, What Now? What Now? What do we do with everything that's going on around us? And everybody's got an opinion. Have you noticed that? Oh, come on, everybody. Now, I mean, seriously, have you noticed that everybody's got an opinion? And depending on how many followers you have or all of those, whatever you want to call that, really depends on how much weight your opinion has. But what I want to tell you as believers that what matters is what does God say? So I'm doing to do my, my very best through this series to answer some questions that I think are very, very important for us in this time and, uh, and kind of show you what this looks like. Because I believe that the Bible has very specific things and wisdom for us in this time. So my prayer is that you take notes, that you look at this, and over the next few weeks, we're going to dig into some things like, you know, I just want to talk about some of the questions that nobody wants to talk about, but, you know, the pandemic. Nobody wants to talk about the pandemic. No, I'm just kidding. Everybody's talking about the pandemic. But we always go through this, what do I feel? 
Have you ever thought that maybe it doesn't matter so much what we feel and what God says? right? Uh, Things like the pandemic, things we're going to talk about that will be part of the discussion. Uh, A one world government, those type of ideas. Uh, Anybody heard of uh, the antichrists? You know, what does that have to look? These are questions that I get all the time. And uh, there's another one uh, that we hear a lot of right now, the mark of the beast. And we're going to kind of dig into some of those things and give you some awareness and some understanding of where we are and why these ideas matter. So today what I want to do is just kind of dig into the the what and the when of this. So if you would, stand to your feet with me. We're going to read the the, uh, Word of God together. We're going to start over in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I will... For sake of time, we're going to read just the first five verses, and then I'm going to have you jump over into the book of Revelation. So, chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong. Whew, there's a lot of, there's a lot of negative stuff here. Naughty, uh, haughty, not naughty. Sorry, I need better glasses. (laughs) Headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's where I got naughty. Okay, here's the important one having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Wow. But what does that mean? Turn over with me into Revelations and chapter 3 of Revelations. And I just want to look at a few verses there. Chapter 3, look, starting in verse 14. We're talking about, in this part, the church of Laodicea. I can say that. I don't know why I can't say it this morning. Laodicea, thank you. Spent a lot of money to be able to say that word. Verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Verse 15. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you were lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, I become wealthy, and I have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And I want you to hear this verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As, also I, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. Let's pray. 
Father, for the next few moments of time, I pray, Father, that your presence would remain strong in this place. I pray, Father, as we sow the seeds of your word today, that you would give us clarity and understanding, and, Father, that there would be deeper revelation into the hearts of your people. I pray, Father, in this time in which you've chosen us to be, I pray, Father, that as we discuss this, as we talk about this, and as I give them what you've given me today, I pray, God, that it will start to dispel fear and anxiety and bring hope and vision. So, Father, I pray as we speak and do this together today that, God, when we leave this house today, we will leave here changed in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. So, what and when? I think this is interesting but because in verse 1, and that's where I kind of want to start on this, is in verse 1, I just kind of want to break this down really quickly. It says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. How many have any issue believing that we could be live, that we would, could be, uh, that we are, or the time that we live in, I'm sorry, it's what vacation does to you. The times in which we live could be described as what? Perilous? It really could. And I think it gives us more depth when we kind of go into this a little bit. And I've done this before, but I wanted to revisit it today to set up what we're going to be talking about. So he says, but know this, that in the last days, in the last days, this word in, when you begin to really break it down to understand, it starts letting us know it means encumbered. It means, uh, it means to be surrounded in the original Greek, the language would tell us that it, it means to feel that there's no way out in the last days. So how many will understand that when we talk about last days, how many realize that sometimes as believers, do you ever feel like, God, there is, this world has lost its mind to the level that I don't know that there's a path back. Anybody had that experience? You look at it, you're like, or let me just lay it out like a good old southern boy. Do you ever think that you look at it and go, I just don't think people can be any dumber, right? And you go, oh, and then you watch another newscast, you go, oh, well, th there we go. We just got that much dumber. You know, the reality is that this is what the Word of God is saying. Now, I want to cover this and let you know that I also agree because I grew up in the church. I've heard that it was the last days my entire life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, so when they start talking about the rapture of the church, you're kind of like going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because I remember sitting in church and my dad would have these ministers come through and I always loved the ones, this is how old I am, is they would come in, they didn't have all the digital boards and, and all that stuff. They brought props and they'd bring these big signs in and it would stretch across the stage and it would be the timeline of revelations. Right? You know, I mean, the dragon and the antichrist and the, the mark of the beast and all those things. Everybody wants to hear about it. You know, so they would get them out there. And I remember reading this as a teenager and listening to them teach. I'm going, you know, I believe in Jesus. I, I believe that he is who he says he is. I didn't have a problem with who God was. But I'm watching all this and hearing them talking about it. And the practical side of me is going, you know what? For that to happen, 
people would have to be stupid. Right? I mean, I remember thinking this, so I struggled with it. And then just a few short years ago, I began to look around, and I just had this revelation. Oh, my God. Lord, you're right. We are stupid. Because you watch around us and we go, how in the world can this happen? But the truth is, is that the Bible's very explicit in teaching us that the eyes of the world, the eyes of those that don't follow Jesus, their eyes are blinded to what we see so readily. So today what I want to do is I want to make sure you understand, I am not speaking to those outside the body of Christ today. I'm speaking to the church because I want you to understand that I believe some of the prophetic words that we read in the Word that we're fixing to dig into in the next little bit deal specifically with us. I want to deal with the great falling away. I'm going to deal with some of the things that we think, well, how could that happen? Because there are denominations and lines of thinking that doctrinally they will state that it is impossible to fall away from the Lord. Well, which, however, I will tell you that I don't know how that can be accurate when it actually says in, uh, in 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, I believe it's verse 1, where it actually says that people will fall away. You can't fall away if you never were a part of something. So part of what I want us to understand is there's depth, and what they're speaking to us too is this. We need to make sure that we're getting ready for the return of Christ. We need to make sure that we're getting ready, that the Bible says he's coming back for a spotless bride. And it's interesting because I really do believe that some of us will be taking that last-minute run down to the dry cleaners. We're going to hold off as long as we can. We want to live the way we want to live. We want to do church the way we've always done it. We want to do all this stuff. We want to make it as easy as possible. We don't want our comfort to be hindered at all. And at the end of the day, the Bible reminds us that he will come like a thief in the night. And I want you to understand that when he's talking about this stuff, he's talking to us who believe, who are supposedly awaiting his return. Let me, let me preface it like this. You know, how, how many married people we got? Yeah, you've been married. How many have been married a really long time? Right? A really long time. How many? Is like, <laughs> so, how, I mean, some of you like, no, Pastor, you don't understand. It's like, I've been married longer than you've been alive. You know, it's like that sort of thing. You know, if we go into the Wayback Machine, I just want to take you on a journey for you guys, because me and Tuan are getting on up there ourselves. And, and you know, sometimes... You look back and you're going, man, it's hard to remember what life was like before. You know, it's like, you know, it's like there's A.D., you know, there's B.C. and A.D., you know, before Christ and after his death and, and all that stuff. I've, I've got like, you know, B.T. and A.T., before Tawana and after Tawana. And, and I can tell you that after Tawana is way better than before Tawana. And, but, but see, now I remember this is this, and here's how I think we need to think of this, is do you remember before your wedding? I, I know some of y'all are like going, uh, <laughs> it's a long time ago. I, those brain cells burned out a long time. No, if we look back and remember how excited, how nervous, how anxious we were to walk down the aisle you know, to, to have our honeymoon, to be married, to, to start our family, to, to all, those, all those things that we dream about when we're, when we're young. And we're looking at that, 
and there's this anticipation. There's one honest person in the building. And there's this anticipation that comes with it. And here's what I want to tell you. If we compare that to how we look at the return of Christ, are we anticipating? Are we longing for his return? Or are we scared to death? Because I can tell you something. My wife would not have appreciated if I had come to her the night before we got married and said, look, honey, I am, t- I am so terrified of marrying you. Right? I don't know that that would work very good. It doesn't bode well for honeymoons, right? It, it does not. But no, it's that idea of saying, I want to be anxious. I want to be longing for the return of Christ for when he comes and I get to see him face to face. When I realize that all the things that I've believed in and had faith in, now it's happening in front of my eyes. It's here. See, I think it's important that we take a viewpoint that is right. But let's come to this. So but know this, that in the last days, encumbered, surrounded, to feel like there's no way out. Then it goes, perilous times will come. There is no, they might come, they may come. Perilous times will come. Now, when we do the research on the word, perilous, you come back. Obviously, perilous means to be filled with danger. We get that. But in another translation, uh, they'll call it like this. They'll say, it's very, it will be very hard to be a Christian. But I want to speak a little deeper. I believe we have to redefine what a Christian is. Because based on current status and the way the world looks right now, the average Christian is not a threat to the enemy because of what they believe, or more or less, what they don't believe. So my challenge is in this is saying, okay, we need to look at this and say, what is a Christian? This is where it all comes to play, because um, the American idea of Christianity can somewhat be flawed. I just want you to understand that it can be flawed, because our idea sometimes as a Christian is, if I'm good, I'm okay. Now, I want you to get this because there's a poll. Actually, if we can pull that up, I want to show you this because I think this is really interesting. There's this poll that we can look at that says, what are the stats of this? What does that look like? And it's interesting. So they, so they ask all these uh, millennials is the, wh- who this study was on. It says, do you believe if you're a good person, you'll go to heaven, ages 20 to 29? 68%, maybe 69% says, yes, if you're a good person, you'll go to heaven. Only 30% said no. And then we had, uh, you know, 5 6% perhaps, maybe 2% that was actually honest enough to say, I don't know. The problem is, is based on this, this is what, this is what Christian, our American Christianity on its own, without structure in the Word of God, without conviction, without these things, this is what it tells us. If I'm a nice person, if I'm good to people, I'm going to heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it doesn't matter how good we are if we're apart from Christ. So what this would tell you, and I don't need to get stuck on that because we've got a long way to go in just a few minutes, is this. What I need you to understand that if we're going to define what a Christian is, a Christian is someone who will stand for what they believe and what their convictions are no matter what the world is doing, no matter what the sacrifice in their life is, no matter what anybody else says about them, no matter how popular they are, even to the point of death. 
Boy, that changes it, doesn't it? And then when the Bible starts talking about a remnant, you go, whew. Because the truth is, I've seen this many times. I'm not sure what decision I need to make. Do I need to follow my convictions? Or do I need to make sure my security is okay? Wow. Do you see how, how the enemy likes to come in very discreetly almost to make you make decisions that from an American point of view is this. It's when we choose comfort. When it challenges our comfort. And here, here is one of the things I really want you to understand. One of the key thoughts that I have for you today is this. That when your comfort is more apparent than your convictions, then you taste like Laodicea. Let's say that again. When your comfort is more apparent than your convictions, then you taste like Laodicea. Remember what it tasted like? Remember what he said? I would rather you be cold or hot, but it's, you're lukewarm. And he says, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. This is God speaking. This is the vision that God gave John, speaking to John, saying this is what it means to be lukewarm. I want to tell you something. You don't have to look very deep to see lukewarm Christianity. But when your comfort's more apparent than your convictions, then you're in danger of being lukewarm, is what that would mean. And he's not coming back for a lukewarm church. He's coming back for a church that says, we are hungry for you. We desire you. We want to be closer to you. So the question comes this, where are we and where do we go from here? So I, I did this, I had this timeline made a little while back. And I want to show you this really quickly to show you where we are in time. I know y'all are like, oh, he's in teach mode. That's okay. And I know I, I, there's so much here that I'm just going to be touching on a couple of different things. But basically what happens, this is the church age. This is just the dispensation of grace. All right? This happened after Jesus was resurrected and after he went and ascended to the Father. All right? The new church was started. It started all through this. So I want you to know, when they talk about the last days in the Word of God, you need to understand that this, these are the last days. Do you know how, many, how much time has passed? What, like 2,000 years? Yeah, we, we struggle with five you know, and it, here, here it is. So you go through this. Now, here's something interesting that I put, didn't put on here. You can look it up yourself. But when you go across this and begin to look through it, what you'll find is in the letters to the church that you find in Revelations, each one of these will be represented by a particular church that he wrote a letter to. Now, here's what I find very interesting. And this is where you'll find yourself in this timeline. All right? Seven, the seventh letter that was written was to Laodicea. Okay, the church at Laodicea, and it was represented as the lukewarm eucumenical. Okay, that's a fancy word for this, very universalist. Let's all get along. One guy, there's many roads to heaven. Let's just, we just all need to be together. Can I tell you something? That is not how the Word of God works. There is one way to the Father, and that is through the Son, Jesus Christ. One way. Now, the problem comes into here that we look at this and this describes the church. When we begin to look through that and we say, oh, they'll be lovers of themselves. They'll be uh, unholy. I mean, have you noticed around us that there is no reverence, not only for the church, for anything. 
There's no reverence for relationships. There's no reverence for parents. All these things, it's like, you know, it's like you got a whole world that's telling our kids that you, your parents don't need to help you make choices. This is what they're being fed is this. You need to trust us and let us help you make the decisions that you want to make. They're six. Right? Can I tell you the truth? And I love my teenagers. I love, I love this. But look, here's what I know. They're, I'm 52. And there are times I'm wishing, I wish my mom and dad were here because I don't, I don't know how to make this decision. Well, when I was 17 and 18, I didn't have much sense. I didn't have world experience. I didn't know what the world was really like. It was like this open plate before me, and I just wanted freedom. I just wanted everything to be great. I thought everybody could get along. Everybody could love each other. And then you watch the Middle East for more than five minutes, and you go, well, there's never going to be peace there until Jesus comes. Well, till the man, the great man, the Antichrist shows up. Hmm. So we find ourselves here in the age of Laodicea. I call him the great man. That's a referral that's scriptural, actually. I don't think he's a great man. But we're at that lukewarm place, which tells us we were, are in the last days of the last days. Does that make sense? So here's the thing. When we're talking about when, can Jesus, when is Jesus coming back, we don't know. We don't know how much time is encompassed right here. We don't know. But what I can tell you, that every prophetic word that needs to take place before Jesus returns has taken place. And when we begin to see the state of the world, and we begin to realize, I don't know that any of this is ever, I don't know that this can ever be, you know why? Because he says, these things must happen in order for me to return. So we come to this place and go, wow, well, this is, this is a very, uh, this is a very joyful message today, Pastor. But here's what I'm going to tell you. It should be. It should be because even though it's a struggle, even though we're seeing evil around us, even though we've got brothers and sisters who are dying of a man-made virus that was released on the world with all kind, who knows what kind of evil intentions were there. When we see all these things, and I know you might want to argue that that's fine. Meet me after church. We'll fight in the parking lot. But all I want to say is that we've got all this stuff that's going on around us, and we look at it. We've got friends who are dying, friends we love. And the question you want to bring up to me is like, why don't we wear masks all the time? And what about being vaccinated? Are you kidding me? What I want to tell you is this, is I want to take my mind off of all those things. And I believe safety is important. I believe doing what we should do is okay. I'm not jumping on that bandwagon just so you know, God called me to preach the gospel. But what I want you to understand is we come to this place. And when all of this is happening around us, we begin to despair. I just don't know what's going to happen. Me and my wife had this, had this conversation many times, you know, because it's a challenge sometimes to keep your head up. Because I remember Tawana saying, look, and she goes, God, it just feels like every time we turn around, we're getting hit again. You know, can't we just have a win? You know, and you're like going, you know what? The truth is, and this is what we've come to, we're laughing about it after we talked about it. It comes to this place, there is a win coming. And it's called the rapture of the church. I want you to understand because when we talk about the mark of the beast, you need to understand scripturally and prophetically speaking, the, the mark of the beast does not happen until after the rapture. Okay? Does that make anybody breathe a little easier? 
Okay, let me move on. <laughs> I've got to hurry. Okay, so we've looked at that. So how do we get here? Because here's what's entered into the church. It's something called moral relativism. Moral relativism. And here's what you need to understand. This is what it means. Moral standards are defined by current culture. Here's what you need to understand. It does not matter what culture says is morally correct. Culture is always getting it wrong. The truth is, Scripture says this, that a biblical worldview is what gives us our moral standard. What does the Bible say? See, that's what I, I want you to come to every time that you have a question that you're wondering, what does the Bible say? Because it's so important in these times when there's winds going everywhere. And let me tell you something. There are going to be people chasing the prophetic. There are going to be people chasing words of wisdom. There's going to be people chasing all these things. Let me tell you something. What you need to be doing is getting your house in order for the return of Jesus. And what you need to do is stop looking for that word that's going to encourage you. And I'm not saying those are wrong. I'm just saying sometimes we get the cart before the horse and say, I need to make sure that my friends are saved. I need to make sure that my kids are saved. I need to make sure my house is in order when Jesus comes back because it could be any time. And moral to relativism has not only invaded our culture, it's invaded our church. We're not going to have a church vote on what is morally right and wrong. We're going to open up the Bible and say, what does it say? And see, here's the problem with moral to relativism. Moral relativism is that it's based on how we feel. Well, how do I feel about this? I just don't think that's right. That can't be God because that's not what a loving God would do. No, a loving God put a man and a woman into the Garden of Eden with the opportunity to bring people into a perfect world. And sin entered. And now we deal with a fallen world. So in order to deal with that, he sends his only son, Jesus, to die for our sins. To give us a chance to be forgiven, that we might have that life again. So I understand what we're saying when we look, there's so many bad things in the world. Why would God allow all this bad to happen? But what I need you to understand that God is doing things. He is making a way. He has made a pathway. But we have to choose his way, not the way we feel. I know that's a difficult thing sometimes for us to understand, but it's important to understand that in this time, we've got to make sure that we are living out exactly what the Word tells us to because you can't get any more specific. I I really don't think you could be any more specific than what the Word has told us. Even in Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, the Bible talks about this, and this is in, in, in the Gospels. He says, and in those days, in those last days, he starts listing down the things. He starts talking about a falling away. He starts talking about all that stuff. And then he says, these are just the beginning of sorrows. So what I want to tell you that what we, I believe, what we are in right now is what was defined in Matthew 24, the beginning of sorrows. It's that place where it is hard. And let me tell you something. I know that I'm one of the old guys now. I get that. And my heart goes out to our young adults and our young people because they're fighting a battle. Guys, they're fighting a battle that rages and is more difficult than we ever had to fight. We didn't have to fight more relativism at the level we had to, that they're having to. We didn't have government trying to 
to grow our kids up without the influence of parents. That's what we're facing today. So they're fighting a battle. And you know what? Maybe if we stop trying to beat them up all the time and talking about how bad millennials are and start saying, you know what? I'm going to pray for my kids. I'm going to pray for my young And say, give them strength, God. Give them wisdom. Fill them so full of the Holy Spirit that it's like the bullets bounce off. You know, it's like, man, I got to stop. But I think it's important for us to understand. So all I'm doing today is setting up what we're going to be digging into over the next few weeks, okay? So I want you to understand that we have come to the place where in our churches, in our lives with God, we are more centered on, on comfort than we are on our convictions, You want to empty out a church really quick? You start preaching straight word. No, no, no. We want to joke and we want to laugh and and there's nothing wrong with that. But when that's more important than the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when that's more important than saying, here's the word of God, how do we fit this? How do we fit this? That was a pathetic hand clap, but that's okay. All right, I got it. (laughs) Anyway, so let's just keep going. Because when we look at this, I think it's important for us to all understand because there is a place in there. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I was referring to this earlier. It talks about uh, a great falling away. And I believe when you look at the scheme of things, and I don't want to make a prophetic declaration on this. I, 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 and that's one of the things that, one of the things that concerns me about the, the time in which we're living is so many people are standing up and making prophetic words. They're speaking this, speaking that, and speaking that. And I will just tell you from my standpoint, if you ever hear me declare something like that, know that I have wrestled with it because it terrifies me to speak something that I'm saying this is what the Lord has said. Because I know that when I stand before God, I'm going to have to take account for that. So I just want you to know that. So we talk about a great falling away. You know how easy it is? Well, this church doesn't love me. I don't want to, you know, this church, this church, blah, 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 blah. They blah, 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 all this stuff. Now, now we get to the place where, where it's more difficult. What happens if at some point they start standing at the doors wanting to see who's coming in to the houses of worship? Does that sound far-fetched? It used to. It doesn't sound so far-fetched anymore. It doesn't sound so far-fetched when we watched a pastor in Canada being handcuffed and dragged away from his church and taken to jail because they had the doors to the church open. Now, I know some of us look at this and they go, but pastor, you know, that's Canada. (laughs) We used to say, that's China. We used to say, that's the Middle East. No, now we're saying, that's Canada. When is it today? When is it here? It's the birth pains before Jesus comes back. So I think the important thing that we could look at today as we begin to dig into all this stuff is say, God, what does your scripture say about all of these things? What does it say about a pandemic? What does it say about this one world government and all the different things, the Antichrist, the mark of the beast? Help us to understand because the falling away is a big deal. It's apostasy. And let me tell you what this is. A falling away, because we think of apostasy, we think of this, it's a, it's a choice. We always think of it like it's a black and white thing. But can I tell you what, what the definition of falling away is biblically? It's losing that connection with God. 
What is a really good way for us to lose connection with God? Let's shut all the churches down and not allow people to go to church. And let's say online is great. But how many of you know it was great for a little bit? And then we realized we were losing something very vital to us very fast. Right? But here's what I've noticed with so many people. I had this conversation just a few weeks ago. Pastor, I just feel so disconnected since I've come back. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? That when our fellowship drops and we're not together, what happens is we slowly begin to lose connection to the thing that gives us life. So we finally get to the place where we fall away. And you know what it's like. It's like, you know, the old saying that you could put a frog in boiling water, he's going to jump right out, right? But you put him in water and let it heat up very slowly, he'll stay in there and he'll be in the sauna, he'll be chilling out until he dies. I think it's the same thing for us as believers. All of a sudden, we find ourselves making a choice, and we didn't even realize we made a choice. But it's because we let it rise up in us slowly, slowly, slowly. This compromise, this co- well, this is okay. This is all right. The Bible's not real clear on this, so let me just hang out right here for a little while. I'm just telling you, right now, in this world, I beg you, be careful. Be wise. Be alert. There really is an enemy prowling around seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour you unless you allow him. But the problem is, some of y'all are going to be eaten half up, and then you go, oh, wait a minute. I'm trying to tell you right now, you've got to come to the place where you're saying, no, what, you know what, that, that smells like compromise. That smells like Laodicea. That smells like I'm denying the power thereof. Now, let me speak to that because when I grew up, and this is the last thing I'll do, when I grew up and I read that scripture, I always read it from this context. Uh, I always, and I'm just going to be very honest, all right, because I grew up relatively rigid, all right, and when I would read this scripture, let me just, let me just find it real quick. When I would read this scripture and it would talk about denying the power thereof, uh, I've read you so many scriptures, now I can't find it. Anyway, I can quote it. So we come to that place where it says, you know, uh, stay away from such people. You know, if they deny the power of God, they deny the power thereof. What is it talking about? When I grew up, I was always like this. That's people denying the power of the Holy Spirit. That's people who want to make fun of the holy rollers. So that was my use of reading this. And I'm just telling you, I'm being very honest. I would read it and I would go, that's what it's talking about. Those people that are making fun of the spirit-filled people. It's not what it's talking about. You know what it's talking about? If you were to, to, to break that down into common day language, it would kind of read something like this. And this is the Clay Baggett paraphrase, so you can take it for what it's worth. Is this. Those people that go to church and hear the word of God, yet never change, stay away from such people. Now, I can guarantee if you reach that out and you study that theologically, you'll find agreement with me on that. And that's what's crazy about this, y'all. We begin to look at this and realize how many of us go to church and hear the word of God 
and we walk back out. Let's say you walk in here and you've had, you've been sinning like crazy all week. You've been doing your own thing. You, you know there's willful sin in your life and you hear the word of God. You're in a worship service where the presence of God is entered in because the word of God says where two or more are gathered together, there he will be also. That means if we're gathered, he's here. But you walk into a building, you hear the word of God, and then you walk right back out, never feeling a tinge of guilt or conviction. That's terrifying. Because can I tell you something? Every Sunday morning when I walk in these doors, way before any of y'all get here, the media team's here, the parking team's here, and they're getting a sound check. There have been times I've walked into those doors and I immediately felt the presence of the Holy Spirit and I felt convicted for something in my life, some thought that I had or some 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 something that was going on in my life that I had just ignored. So what I want to tell you is that we live in a time where we need to be very aware of the presence of God. And we need to be hungry for that. So people talk about, well, we need revival, Pastor. (laughs) You're not kidding. But revival can only start when we get real with who we are. And revival has to start with us as his children, as people who believe in him. So what now? How do we react? How do we react when every source of information that we've grown up listening to is just out and out lies? And you say, I, I don't know what to, li- I don't know who to, I don't know who to listen to. I don't know what to believe anymore. I, I don't, do I believe Fox? Do I believe CNN? Do I believe MSNBC? Do I believe in- Newsmax? Do I, do I believe, oh, well, I know, I know. Let me, let me watch what everybody's posting on Facebook so I can find the truth. <laughs> Y'all crazy. So what do we do? So my first word in this series is this. What does God's word say? Find your truth there and watch what God will do. So I'm praying this. This is my prayer this week and through this whole series that God will open your eyes that this apathy that has settled on God's people, we're going to rebuke it. We're going to, we're, I'm just casting it out. We're just saying, you know what? No more. I want my children's eyes. I want my grandchildren's eyes. I want your grandchildren and your kids and you, all of us. I want the scales off of our eyes so that you can see clearly what's going on because there is a spiritual battle. Wow. You know, I really planned on this being like 15 minutes. I'm sorry. But here is the reality for all of us. God chose us for this time. He chose you for this moment. It wasn't by accident. And I just want to challenge you in this. Because he chose you, stop begging God to deliver you from the very mission field he placed you. We've got work to do. There are lost people that desperately need Jesus. And we have the greatest opportunity right now. It is so tangible. But what will we do? What now? 
Would you bow your head and close your eyes all across this room? Father, today we thank you. We thank you that your word is a two-edged sword. We thank you, Father, that it cuts us to the marrow. It cuts us to the bone, meaning that you convict us. And Father, today, I, I just speak over your people. And I pray, God, that you would convict us, all of us, of the places where we have compromised and fallen short. That we would walk boldly as sons and daughters of the Most High. That we would be actively preparing for your return. And whether or not it's in our lifetime, whether it's next week, whatever, that, but we're actively preparing because we recognize the signs around us. So, Father, we simply pray this. Help us to be who we need to be in this moment. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. We thank you. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here today and you say, Pastor, here's the reality in my life is based kind of on what you're talking about and in that area, I've been living that compromise. Oh, man. I know that I need to get these things right with God. I know I need to walk into who God's called me to be. If that's you right now, there's nobody looking around, every head's bowed, every eye's closed, but you say, Pastor, I know I have got to get right. If that's you, I want you to slip your hand up right now and say, Pastor, just remember me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yes, sir, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? I don't want to miss a single hand. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Amen. You can place your hands back down. Would you stand to your feet all across the room? And I'm going to ask you another question as you stand. You say, Pastor, this week, I'm, I'm, man, Pastor, I've just been overwhelmed this week. And I want to stand strong and I want to be discerning. But I got to tell you, Pastor, it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle. I, I just want you to be praying for me. I want you to remember me. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up so I can pray for you this week. Just keep them up so I can see all across the board. Yeah. Amen. You can place your hands back down. Now, for those who raise your hand, listen. I'm praying for you. You can count on that. But I'm going to ask you something. Pray for me. Because I need your prayers too. We're stronger together. And we can do this. And here's what I'm going to ask. I want our altar workers and pastors that are available to make their ways to the front very, very quickly. And we're just going to take some time and pray. Because I don't want a service to ever go by that you're here and you have a need in your life, that you need prayer. You need someone to agree in prayer with you, to lay hands on you. I want you to have that opportunity. I want God to get everything done he needs to do. I don't care what it takes. I don't care how long it takes. Any of those things, it does not, not matter. Because we want you to have everything that you need before you leave this house. But what I want to do right now is all of us, we're going to pray this prayer together. 
And listen, the enemy will want you to walk alone. So for those of you that said, man, I just need to get, I just need to get some things straight. I, I'm gonna tell you, the, the enemy's devious. He will sneak in through avenues that you don't, that's why you need discernment. That's why you need people around you that will call you out and tell you, stop being stupid. I mean, I, 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 I'm so thankful for those friends in my life. And I'm telling you right now, you're not meant to walk this alone. We'll walk with you. We believe in you. But I want us to all pray this prayer as a family. And the only thing I ask is this, let somebody know about the decision that you're making. This is your decision. It's your personal moment. But as a family, we're proud of you. You're going to rock it. You're going to do great. And we're here for you. So let's say this prayer together all across this place. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and make me new. I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior right now. I repent of my sin and I'm turning away from my past. I'm asking for strength, oh God. I'm asking for compassion. I need you. And Father, today I surrender it all to you. I am yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Give the Lord some praise across the house.